0: Lord, I pray that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit, so that my speech and my message will not be in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that our faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. What a great day to be here. I am so thankful, Ryan, to be with you on this wonderful occasion with Libby and Sibley and Silas and Kareth and then also your mom and dad and your sister and her husband, right? Welcome. And also, of course, with Charlie and Mary who are so faithful every day, so wonderful to be here and this flock of friends who is here because you are loved and they are thrilled to be with you. I do want to give all of you something to be thankful for, be thankful that you're not a bishop tonight, Why? because look at what I have to wear, I mean, you know what, this is the night that I give you something to be thankful for, if nothing else, when you go to bed tonight say, thank God I didn't have to wear layers and layers of things like that guy did, so anyway, (laughs) Ryan, this has been a slow and deliberate journey. You have not taken any shortcuts. I remember the first time I met you and Libby, and even then there was a sense that you were marked by God for this, and I am among many who never flagged in our confidence that this was God's call in your life. Now, we did have to get you married first and a few other uh, preliminaries before you got here, but here we are, and the joy I have in ordaining you is real, and I want you to keep it in mind because my sermon will be serious. And it's not because I have doubts, but I couldn't be true to the words of Jesus and say anything in my exhortation, but yet what is seriously addressed in his teaching. This is a sobering passage. And I say that as a figure of speech, but I also say it in a literal sense of being sober, and it works both ways. Jesus' words are a call to sobriety for his disciples and a particular and even more intense call to sobriety for those who aspire to leadership within the household of God. And the whole thing turns on a statement in verse 40. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour which we do not expect. This is a call to all disciples to be ready to meet the Lord at any minute. And so there's something for all of us here, but there's something even more intensely for those who are called to leadership. And we'll unpack that as we go. I rarely give a title to my sermons, but I couldn't help but entitle this in my notes, A Serious Call to Full Allegiance. A Serious Call to Full Allegiance. So let's dig in. There are two interconnected parables, and they're fairly complex, but they have really a very simple message, and that is this concept of being prepared to meet the Lord at all times. There's a sense at which some day Christ is coming back, and we who are his followers want to be ready to meet him without regret and with gladness. The first message is this call for all of us, all who are servants. And Jesus pulls the parable out of the everyday life of Israel in this concept of a household, an oikos, where there are multiple people with a master. And so he gives these images of people who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding feast. And he speaks in three different ways in which they are to be ready. First, we are to be alert and eager at all times in every moment to meet the master and that is Jesus face to face, which is this basic call of Christian discipleship. It's consistently picked up and repeated throughout the New Testament. The book of Colossians chapter 3 says, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking things above. Fix your eyes on Jesus who is seated in the heavenly places. And there's this sense at which our eyes are to be directed. And that message is communicated in the images that he unpacks being dressed and ready to act on his command. Let your loins be girded, he says literally. Be ready. Don't have things flapping around you that might tangle up your feet and your willingness to obey what the master says and to hear his word at the moment he speaks. This message, by the way, eventually soaked into Peter, but it took a while because during the life and ministry of Jesus on earth, Peter was caught flat-footed a number of times, right? And particularly the three, deni- the three denials, or what, what stands out. But eventually, after Pentecost, things changed for Peter, and I say that deliberately because what happened at Pentecost was so powerful in the life of Peter to give him a life and a strength that he did not have. Remember that, Ryan, because in Jeremiah, in this incredible call that Jeremiah receives, it's God's deposit of life in Jeremiah that gives him the ability to do it. It's God's deposit of the Spirit that changed Peter from a person who fell on his nose so many times. And later on in Peter's first letter, he himself picks up this idea as he teaches years later, therefore girding your minds for action. So he got the message eventually, being ready at all times to hear what God says and to do it is to think about that, being ready at all times to hear what the Lord has to say and not letting anything distract us or tangle us up in terms of our willingness to hear and act. Jesus gives another image of readiness, lamps burning awake on the watch, making sure that your lamp is lit. And he has this idea that the servants are standing at the door where their lamp's lit, and you can imagine it's dark, and the lamps actually guide the master home. You know, this is where we are. It's kind of like a homing signal for the master to make sure that they're there, but also it makes sure that the servants are awake. And It reminds us of the parable of the ten virgins, five foolish and five wise. And most interpretations, and I would agree with it, again, have to do with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those readiness is dependent, the readiness is dependent upon us being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that constant presence of God that we've been talking about, really the whole service, right? And then there's a third image, waiting at the door, listening for the footfall, the knock, the voice of the returning master ready to open the door and welcoming him home. And this is basic, this is kind of like Christian, uh, you know, Christian discipleship 101, right? The readiness to meet Jesus. But I want to dig a little deeper. We could read this and say that it's all about being ready for the final day. The day we will meet Jesus face to face in heaven at our death or our birth into the new life. If we're still alive when he returns. But we could also read it as ready for Jesus' presence and voice any and every day because it's always apt to be to show up and I think both are true clearly we are called as disciples to be longing for and looking for and living unto the final day John the apostle John in his first epistle says this in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 3 see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are Amazing love that the Lord has given to us. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. So John says, we are the children of God. It's an amazing statement. It tells us why we are different than those who don't know Christ. But if we have this hope, we will look for him to come and we will know that when he comes, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is and he has the power to finish our lifelong process of being transformed into his image at that instant. Isn't that exciting? It's going to be completed. But if we have that hope, we live toward that hope we purify ourselves now toward what we will be when uh, the story is complete. Every moment is holy. <laughs> I have this little book, this lit- book of liturgies that many people are using. And it says it's a, it's a book that really helps us realize that every moment is an opportunity for holiness and sacredness and sanctity for us to know God more and more effectively. Last week was my birthday. And my wife literally got down, uh, sat down beside me early in the morning when we were having our devotions, and she prayed the liturgy for a birthday for me. And it ends this way. I'm not just telling you that story. I'm I'm telling you a story for a reason, okay? It ends this way. May he, speaking about me, may he invest his moments well in the coming year and all the years to follow, living life always with the end in view. That's the point in pursuit of that eternal prize that will allow him to look ever with gladness and never with regret on the passing of his years, as each subsequent birthday will be but the marking of a step nearer to the final fulfillment of all he has so longed and hoped and labored for. Incredible prayer. Living each day without regret, knowing that every year is not a year lost, but a year closer a year closer to the completion of the dreams, the hopes, and the longings of our life. This isn't yours, but I'm going to put it right here beside you, okay? Just to remind you. Living unto the final day. But also living at all times ready to see Jesus and hear his voice in the everyday. Mother Teresa said this, I see Jesus in every human being, I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus, so I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene, and I see the face of Jesus. I must wash him and tend to him because I love Jesus. And she goes on to say, seeking the face of God in everything, everyone, all the time, in his hand, in every happening. This is what it means to be contemplative in the heart of the world, seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. I suggest that these two possibilities are in reality the same way of life. If if you are ready to meet Jesus at any moment when he shows up today, you will be ready to meet him in the final moment. If you are ready to meet him in the final moment, you will see him and hear him every day, many moments. These comments are self-evident. But one thing I have to confess, I do not find self-evident, and I mean self-evident, is that this is very serious business. Jesus isn't kidding. There's no wink-wink here. There are no hyperbolic statements that this is only for the extremists. This is one of a number of parables and teachings in which disciples, all disciples, everyone in this room who calls themselves followers of Jesus, are called to live in line with a different internal north star from those who do not know Christ. A homing device in our souls toward the person of Jesus Christ. He is not an add-on, He's not a means by which we are suddenly free and able to live according to our own pleasures. He's not a side gig in our lives. He offers no alternative way to life than to follow him. Serious business. Now, Peter hears this and he asks in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? There's a group of disciples, and then there's in, within those group of disciples a group of the apostles, the 12. Peter says, is this everybody, or is this just for us? And Jesus leverages that question with a question, as he's so apt to do. Verse 42, who then is the wise and faithful manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? The same point is happening. The master is coming home. But beyond the readiness of all the servants, there is the particular responsibility of the manager, the steward, the leader of the household. And what Jesus basically says is that the manager, the leader of the household, demonstrates his readiness to meet the master by fulfilling his responsibilities to take care of the people in the household. And Jesus leaves the question hanging, will you step up? Will you live into this calling of being a manager? In light of the coming of Jesus, will you be even more determined to make sure that you invest your life in the good of those you serve, that you care for in every sense of the word The parable unpacks the concept of receiving food and proper sustenance and making sure, but I suggest that's just an image to give us a door and opens a door to a much broader concept because stewards and managers, the leaders of the Church of God, are the people who are responsible across the board to work faithfully and fervently to provide all the gamut of needs that they can for the sheep. So as we think about the flock of God, those who are leaders should be thinking not only their spiritual food and water, but their rest, their protection, their guidance, their healing, their rescuing, whatever the the moment demands. Now obviously no one deacon or priest is responsible for doing this. But you're going to hear in the exhortation that I give to Ryan, and he and I spent some time about this, that the diaconal ministry in particular has to be alert to, all the, the, to the entire scope of the needs of the local church. Not that you do it all, brother. You're part of a team. But nevertheless, you are aware of it all in a particular way. And you help all the leaders to be remindful of all the needs at all times. It's a huge job. So to the passion and prioritization of single-minded devotion for Jesus that is called for in all disciples, there is this intensified calling to leadership. that's applied particularly to your service, which you've signed up for and the church has recognized. And Jesus adds dimensions of diligence and faithfulness and sacrifice. I wish I could lighten it up. You may want to rethink what we're about to do, <laughs> but not really. I've been through this with you, brother, and I know you're prepared in your heart. But I can't lighten up because, frankly, and I say this to our seriousness, the church has suffered in all ages because its leaders have failed to recognize their heightened call to serve the church and the intensity with which that is viewed by our Lord. Jesus himself Fascinatingly and perceptively suggests there are two ways in which leaders fail in being diligent. If you unpack the parable, by not being alert, in other words, by assuming they have all the time in the world to get their act together. Maybe even more proactively, they're hoping that Jesus won't show up anytime soon because they don't want to interrupt their own interests. They prefer to be doing something else. And he specifically says, by the way, some leaders can prefer to do something else by being on a power trip, by being abusers, by using their position to hurt others or to use others. And Christ indicts that. Or by seeking their own pleasures, prioritizing the food and drink and material and fleshly pleasures. Another enormous temptation for leaders. And the example is our legion and our own present time of leaders who have been abusive or who've been self-indulgent. And therefore they have failed to serve the church and they have failed in their leadership. And the warning to such faithless leaders is severe. A very real possibility that they have never known the Lord that they speak about and claim to serve. But the underlying principle is this in verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. And Jesus doesn't soften the blow. He knows we need to sober up. And therefore, I suggest, Ryan, you and I and all the rest of us who believe we've been called into leadership should not rush to make this somehow softer. It's a fierce call. Ordained ministry is a serious call. Jesus puts a claim on us that changes everything. And you and I and others called to leadership are not free to live unto ourselves. We are not free to shirk our calling. We are not free to shirk the investment that God has placed in us. It's serious. But on the other side of these warnings, I do think that there is a heart call that we do need to hear. The motivation and for eagerness and readiness to see Jesus, to welcome Jesus, comes from love for Jesus the conviction and allegiance of who he is. You don't stand at the door waiting for somebody you dislike or disdain. You go to the back of the house and hope to avoid him. You hope he will go away or that he won't notice you. The eagerness of the servants is the fruit of love and conviction. And the first disciples heard this hard word, and it's important to realize this, brothers and sisters, they heard this hard hard word and they didn't turn away. Because something had drawn them that was so compelling that they could not turn away. 1 John speaks of it in his first letter. That he had been captivated by the love of God through Jesus Christ. And even in the tough words that Jesus said, he heard love. He heard the, the calling of love in his life. Paul speaks about the fact that it is the love of Christ that controls him. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, knowing that love, Paul says, I persuade men, I serve people, I care for people, because these are the people for whom Christ has died. Ryan, our culture is uncomfortable with high standards and hard commands. If I have to be truthful, I am at times uncomfortable with high standards and hard commands. I'd love a gospel that baptizes my desires and inclinations, that affirms that what is intuitive and automatic in me is just peachy because it must be God's will, because I think it or feel it. Unfortunately for my flesh, but probably fortunately for my soul, that's not the message of the gospel. I need this constant correction. I need this constant keeping on the road. There's this marvelous phrase repeated in Proverbs, reproofs This is interesting, folks. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. The way of life requires reproof. The worldview behind the scriptures is we're we're driving our lives down an insanely curving mountain road high in the Andes, and on one side there are cliff walls, and the other there are precipitous drop-offs. Except when we're on the knife edge of a ridge when it's a drop-off on both sides, and we need guardrails to keep us from falling to our death. And it is love that corrects and directs. It love that reproves, love that reminds us of the life and death stakes of faith and obedience. The stakes are high for our own soul. The stakes are high for our ministry. But I want to emphasize that whatever God calls for you in your life and ministry is always predicated on his supply of grace. We sang a great hymn this, this evening. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every day, My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And that's the message of the gospel. I want to end with a slow read through two short paragraphs in the book of Titus. And just soak this in. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to fashions passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want to, you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The outcome of the love of God in our lives is the transformation of our lives from self to an orientation to Christ and to one another, and therefore a freedom and a power to devote yourself to good works, so that we live our lives at the end of the day for the glory of God and for the good of others. And that, my brother, is a serious call to allegiance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.